Now, now, real people, real opinions. Nighttime talk with Niall Boylan. Ireland's classic hits radio. It is that time of the week. And we talked to Sarah Horgan from the Echo Live and she joins me. Sarah, good afternoon or good evening to you. Why well, I always say good afternoon. What's that all about? Uh, Sarah, good evening to you and happy new year. Happy New Year. This is probably our afternoon, I'd imagine. <laughs> well, it, it is our afternoon, yeah. Well, I came up since 7 o'clock this morning, so I don't know about you. I, I just barely go to sleep now. I, I can hear myself echoing there. I don't know, do I need to turn tur- tur- down? I, I hate hearing my voice back. Are you the same? No, no, no. Well, I, well, what I'll do is I'll just switch you onto another line, just if it makes things any better. But yeah, hold on, I'll just say. Now, how's that? Is that any better? Yeah. Okay. That's much better. I couldn't hear you. Sorry. Okay. So, now, I'm looking to hear some of the stories. And, we, by the way, uh, Happy New Year to all the people of Cork, by the way, as well. Can I just point out as well? The people of Galway, keep people of Limerick and Dublin. I don't want to leave anybody out, but particularly the people of Cork at this very moment of time because I'm talking to one of their natives who has now become famous in Cork for her little um, ditties on a Monday night. Am I famous? I, well, well, I didn't even realise. Well, yeah. yeah, somebody did say to me recently that they had spotted you. Now, I, that meant, This sounds like a stalker now, but a, a friend of mine who lives in Cork says, I saw your woman, Sarah Horgan, you know the one you're always talking to on the radio? And I said, yeah, I saw her in town there recently. And I'm going, right, I don't even know what she looks like, but you're telling me you saw her. <laughs> but there you go. That's, that's hilarious. I know I'm only he, he's only humouring, but that's me, but that's nice of him all the same. Okay, a Dublin woman with an upcoming exhibition in Cork opened up about how art helped with the trauma of losing her son in a freak and very unusual accident. Um, that's a really sad story. I mean, obviously to start the new year off, but what was this the freak and unusual accident that she lost her son in? So she's living in Kinsale. Her name is uh, Derville um, uh, Conan. She says that her art helped her process this terrible grief she experienced when her 14-year-old son died in this freak accident. So back in 2014, her son Leon, he um, he got his head stuck in these railings near near oh, wow. near his home. But that wasn't what killed him. What was even more unusual was that he died from a heart attack as a result. I'm not sure that he have an underlying heart condition. It doesn't say here, but the, the shock of it and the fright of it uh, as such, it looks like it killed him. Um, oh my God. The, the, the poor thing. So I, I suppose we all have a way of recycling our pain and channeling our pain. And this is how Derville um, is channeling it. She's an art therapist and it's, it's, she also... Her, I suppose her her job is a lot more unusual because she also explores past lives and she's it says here she's a very spiritual person attuned to energy and channeling mm. grief and also um, positivity. But the strange thing here is she said that from um, a very very young age she felt connected to the unseen and she had she has these premonitions and. She had this premonition that something was awful was going to happen, and um, it turned out to be her son um, Leon dying. So um, this is the exhibition um, she's she's holding at the moment. It's I suppose she's getting it all out on canvas, and yeah. it, it she's saying that. She, she, going back to the past lives thing as, as well, which she captures in her painting, she says it's not just about looking at the past. The the past is the root of where it happened, but the 
it also affects the um, present life. So that's something that people would like to change. I, I don't know, do I believe in, in past lives? Do you, do you believe in past lives? I had this deep conversation the other night with my wife. We were... And she was saying, I know you don't believe in religion and on God and all that. And, you know, and we were talking about, you know, what happens after you die. And I was saying, even though I don't believe in religion, even though I'm not spiritual, I find it hard as a human being to comprehend that your consciousness could just end. Also, I find it hard as a human being to understand that your consciousness didn't exist before you had it. You know, like what happened before you were born. So maybe, maybe, you know, we do, our consciousness does move on to another life. So... It's well, possible. I'm not going to rule it out. Like, yeah, they right. that it only yeah. can that it can only be transformed. So, I I will say that past lives could be a possibility, but I don't believe in people remembering past lives. I don't believe in this. Um, uh, yeah, I I I, I don't. Like, do you think the, your the consciousness, Sarah Horgan's consciousness? God forbid, if anything happened to you, but do you think that Sarah Horgan's consciousness will be passed on to another person? Will Will you suddenly wake up the next morning as if you've gone to sleep the night before and just wake up a different person somewhere else in the world? Um, n- no, I I, th- okay. I think your just energy could go anywhere, goodness. Um, I find that I it's so hard to understand. It's so hard, so difficult to understand, isn't it? I I I don't really know, but I hate thinking about it because it feels like a a bottomless pit. And my little girl is is six, and at the moment everything is death. She's oh God. fascinated about death, and and every night she'd say to me, "Where do we go when we die?" And we we nervous, or she'd say, "Oh, I'm nervous about dying." And I said it to somebody I work with thinking that, gosh, do, do I have this very morbid child? And they No, that that's, that's normal, Sarah. Thing. I remember, yeah. I remember myself, even as a child, always be, being afraid that my parents were going to die. They didn't. But I was always afraid they were going to die. You know? Mm-hmm. There was always that fear mm-hmm. that people that would die, you know what I mean? But they didn't. So, and, and thankfully, in most cases, they don't. Um, thankfully, in most cases, you allow to live your parents, and unfortunately. Um, but here's the thing, yeah, the consciousness is a, is a complicated question that we must get back to at another point. We can have a deeper conversation about that, Sarah, because I think it's a really good conversation. I think it's a really interesting conversation. Anyway, ready availability of Airbnbs and other short-term lets is facilitating a spike in prostitution across Cork City. Who's recording this, by the way? The Garda Shikana, obviously. But, but who's, is there somebody out going, okay, there's one prostitute, right? Two prostitutes, three. I suppose it's the, it's the cause. It's the phone calls they're getting from concerned neighbours. So this is an article by Liz Dunphy in the Irish Examiner. And she's talking about the phenomenon of pop-up brothels that are now being reported on every major street in the city centre. Wow. Now, I I must clarify that when we talk about Airbnb, that's Airbnb we're looking yeah. In, in general, I suppose that's the, the name we, we give for them. Um, and it's a particular as, as area of Cork where this is happening more so than others. It, it just said the the city, the city centre. Um, like the red light district in Cork than, now, isn't it? It's like Amsterdam. Well, I, I remember talking about this a uh, couple of years ago. Airbnbs have, or short term less, I should call them, it, it's made it a lot easier because before in hotels somebody might draw attention you'd see somebody could be alerted to it there's staff you have all these eyes on you um 
short term let is 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 very private now said it hasn't had any complaints or co contact from Gardaí and Cork but there's a, a lot of demand for sex workers and new faces in particular so they're moving around a lot so it does make sense that the short term um rentals will, will be used in this way well, then I'm well I'm assuming then these are ladies of the night who are on tour um, probably from the UK or other countries where they come to Ireland for a period of time and then head back to the UK or head back to other countries, wherever they come from. I I'm assuming that's what's happening and they're then just renting out these places short term. Yeah, it's 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 been happening for for many years now, I suppose. It's just taking different forms, isn't it? Mm, they mm. used to say at one stage that every hotel has a sex worker and one or two when I was very young I remember they were pointing they were pointed out to me now it could have just been a, a room oh no you're right some some hotels always, had a reputation for it others didn't you know what I mean yeah yeah, yeah. and they were always the ladies who um, were so well dressed and really blended in who you would you would never suspect so it's something that's really hidden in plain sight and it scares me that there, there are a, a lot of people doing this against their will. Whether it's mm -hmm. the the shackles don't have to be physical; they can be psychological shackles. I, I, I we talked, yeah. we we talked months ago about the juju oath. I was telling you about the juju oath, wasn't I? Yes, you were. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that's when. And the other thing as well the, is, yeah. of course, you know, these young ladies would have their passports taken from them, you know, and and not be given them back unless they perform certain duties or make a certain amount of money. Or, and that, that's human trafficking, by the way, which is obviously very illegal. And anybody who's mm -hmm. responsible for that, any man, woman, or child, or anybody who's responsible for putting any other human being through something like that, should be arrested and put in jail and throw away the key. But in relation to, I suppose. What we did five years ago by changing the legislation in Ireland, where at the time it was legal to purchase sex as long as you didn't solicit, um, it, it's, it's now illegal to purchase sex in this country. And there is talk about changing the legislation again back to the way it was. Would you be in favour of that? or do you? Because I don't think it's worked. I don't think it's made a difference, changing the legislation. I think it just puts people in danger. These, Particularly the women, uh, it might put them in danger because they're less likely to come forward if they have a problem. I'm very on the fence. Um because there was a woman who told me that she, um, who who was working in that industry, who told me that that she didn't feel safe anymore. Because as far as I know, even if there's two people working together, and that's considered a brothel, I that's wonder, right. am I right about that? Oh, you am are. Right that's the definite. That? That's the legal Irish legal definition of a brothel is more than two people working in the same place. Yeah, and it it just means. Mm -hmm. There's more opportunities for abuse, and I I, mm -hmm. I can't imagine what they must come up against every week because not every it's it's not going to be straightforward. It's not. See, I have interviewed sex workers on the air on many occasions, and you know, and some of them mm -hmm. they refer to themselves as the happy hooker. Uh, and this is basically women who've made a decision or their own personal choice. That's the career they want to have, and they want to do that are trafficked into it and forced into it. But but we have to decide the difference. And the, and the difference is one is should be illegal and one shouldn't, maybe. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, human trafficking is illegal and should always be illegal. 
Um, there was never an argument about that. But, you know, there are individuals and there are women out there who decide that's what they want to do to make money. And and I suppose the argument is, who are we to stop them if that's what they decide to do? Yeah, they're they're in the minority for maybe, uh, maybe I'm speaking anecdotally, but... Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's, yeah. There, there's. It's hard to know. The, I, I think I think that the myth of the happy hooker is yeah, it does exist, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. But anyway, back to Cork City. So uh, there's a spike in prostitution across the city, and has there been people charged, or are the Garda Shaykhana charged anybody with the purchase of sex? It it doesn't say that they have. It just says that they've had reports from okay. people. I I suppose a lot of the time, by the time they go and check it out, um, they're gone. These people are travelling and moving the whole time and that's that's the nature of it, isn't it? Well, it's a hard crime to prove because you have to prove that money changed hands because otherwise it could be just a one-night stand. So it, it's a hard crime to prove unless you have an undercover, undercover guard lying under the bed waiting for the money to change hands. So it is a difficult one for the guard of Sheikhana to prove unless they do sort of undercover work in relation to it. But anyway, hopefully it doesn't get too bad because they'll ask you what to see is some sort of red light district in an area or any part of Cork or Dublin or anywhere else for that matter. Now, here's another story. Ireland's only... Now, it says here, carry on air. What's a carry on air, by the way? You see, I spent it... I, I spelled it phonetically because it's 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 spelled with L's here, but I, I, I assume those are, are silent L's. So carry on air is how it's pronounced. It's... Um, it's how would you describe it? Um, okay, I'll just tell you the story. This is okay. a story by own English in the, in the Irish Examiner. So... Um, Adrian Gabrors, he climbed over 200 steps on New Year's Eve to the top of a landmark cathedral to ring in the new year for the 53rd year in a row on one of the finest church bell instruments in the world. So it's a church bell instrument. I put in bell ringer first because I thought he was the bell ringer. But it's actually, it's, 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 have you heard, have you heard of the instrument? It's, so is this where you're jumping up and down, pulling onto ropes? No, no, that's what I thought it was. That's oh, okay. what I thought it was. But this is an instrument. It's 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 like an organ that's made up of, but instead of keys, it has bells. Oh, you should look at the video. It's it's just so right, it's just okay. the most beautiful interest in, in, instrument, and it's so rare. It's. It's, I, it's, I, I, I'm assuming it's one of these big massive ones with the big tubes all going up, and is it or no? I'm I'm probably. It's 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 how would I describe it? It's like they look like pedals coming out of it. Right. But yeah, it would be the same shape, and yeah. there are so few of them in the world. There's only seven hundred carrions that the that the instrument itself in the world, and we have one of them in in Cove. So this is Ireland's only um, carrion air. Adrian is, and. He's um he's in his in his eighties. He's eighty years old, and he's still going strong. It was passed. It's been passed down through generations. So he, the longest playing a carinere in the world was still playing at the age of a hundred. Wow! But he played in a church tower in the U.S., which is different to Adrian because he had an elevator, and they have no lift in St. Coleman. No, he has to climb the stairs. Yeah, yeah. He, so he has to climb the steps. So he says you have to climb 100, 200 steps to get to the playing cabin, which is located just above the the clock in the belfry, and um, that's just to get to work. So 
it's it's it, that's not the only physical side of it. It's a really physical job to actually play the console itself. But he says it's like an addiction, so that explains why he's still playing at eight years old. And he says he tries to stay fit and gets up three times a, a week to to go swimming at six thirty before he does any of this. Wow. So he has one of seven hundred carry-ons in the world. And there aren't too many players at all, so he's very special. Right. And, and is there anybody said, else? Is there anybody else coming up now to the ranks? Has he trained anybody else? So what happens sadly when you know when he heads off? Well, he has two granddaughters, Amy and Ella, and they're learning to play the bells. But it's he doesn't want it to be any pressure for them. He was saying he doesn't believe in this idea of forcing family traditions on the next generation which is wise because I think sometimes children are are very much sacrificed for perfection and tradition and, and so on so he was saying whether they'll continue the family tradition I, I he, he doesn't know but as long as they want to do it they're welcome to it I, mm. I suppose he's saying that they're children in their own right <laughs> with their own interests and everything else but yeah he, um, yeah, it, it was it was beautiful. Apparently, on New Year's Eve, he was joined by a small group of family and friends in the playing cabin. And um, I'd like to hear. I'd love to hear that. By the way, I'd love to. I must have. A, I must Google it and have a listen. I must. I'd love to hear it. I'd say it sounds. Imagine wonderful. have him. Imagine if you had him playing live on air. Wouldn't that be playing his carry on amazing. air? Well, it's not called. He's car, called. Car, car, no, no, no. His carry on air live on air. Oh, okay. Or, or he's, or no, he's the carrion air, sorry. Playing his carry-on. <laughs> if that's what it's called, the instrument, isn't it? Carry-on. Yeah, yeah, but it would be carry-on air. Oh, yeah, that's clever, isn't it? Yeah, wow. Clever play on words there, wasn't it? Took me a while to come up with yeah. that one. Yeah, but that would be interesting. We must, and do you know him? I don't, but I'm moving to Cove. That's where my little house is going to be. So but, you, could um, you get to know him and maybe convince him to come on with us and play his carry-on his carry on, on his carry-on air? I'll I'll get him to serenade you on on yeah. air. Yeah, yeah, that that would be that would but that would be nice though, wouldn't it? That would I bet be, that's it never would certainly been be a first. That would be. <laughs> I bet I bet it's never been done, and some someone else is going to steal the idea because they've heard us. But um, oh, yeah. what yeah. yeah, Neil Penderville or PJ Coogan are probably listening now, going, "Oh, that's a good one. We'll do that in Cork." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> together. Yeah. Now Viego looks back. By the way, this week at the filling of Moby Dick which is a whale, for those who don't know, by the way. Uh, and it's not a person uh, in Cork as part of its milestone anniversary. Now, there was only a statue put up, wasn't there? Going back in uh, 2020 in Yall and the Market Square, they put up a statue of Moby Dick, I think, from the film adaption. What do you, what do you mean, only a statue? What more did you want? No, I'm, ju- I'm just saying, like, only recently. I didn't mean only. Only recently. Oh, I was wondering, <laughs> yeah. A big whale going through the, yeah. um, through the town, yeah. yeah. So... This is so it's the seventieth anniversary now, and Mike Hackett, who was only a, a little boy at the time, he would have been about about ten. He wrote an article for the Echo that that was in was it in today? It was in in recent days anyway, and um, it's so nice because he's recalling his um, his time when when the time when they were filming. Because he was lucky enough to be an extra, so he was saying that in 1954 times were very hard, and uh, yeah, it was it was fairly bleak until that summer when the bright lights and the lips of Hollywood and the glamour of Hollywood all <laughs> ar- yeah arrived in their doorstep. 
So you you might be wondering why they decided to film in Yall of all, of all places. So, so why not? The film director, you know, <laughs> was, the the famous film director John Huston was entrusted by Warner Brothers with a million dollars to make a film based on the book Moby Dick. And that was about a whaling captain in Massachusetts in 1851 seeking revenge on a whale, Moby Dick, that had eaten his his leg off. Mm. Um, would a whale eat your leg off? I, I don't know if I they thought, do that. I, I they would, just yeah. swallow you whole. But well, yeah. um, <laughs> they, wouldn't, they wouldn't swallow you whole. They <laughs> wouldn't waste any time. So y'all was chosen as one of the sets because, firstly. Houston was friendly with the journalist there, Claude uh, Cockburn, who lived locally, because journalists have friends in all the highest places, don't they? Quite ironic, his name is Cockburn, and mm. he's in a movie called Moby Dick. But hey, sorry, there you go. Mo- Moby Dick, yeah, I, 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 that struck me too. Okay. So <laughs> then you had the, 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 so you had this really unspoiled scenery of the harbour, and when you look at the lighthouse, there was nothing on the there was nothing on the far side of the river, no pylons or, or poles to, to date even so that I know. Of. But the old sailors wandering around the quayside, they all had these white beards blowing in the wind. Right. So they were seen as ready-made ex- made for yeah. parts in the films. Yeah, in, uh, it in, must be hard, in, in the by the film. way, when they're making movies like that to have what they call continuity, right? Which is to make sure that everything is of the time. Because I went to see that movie, Dunkirk, I think it was. And you see all these men, you know, at Dunkirk Beach. It actually, I don't think it was actually filmed at Dunkirk. It was filmed somewhere else in France, right? So they're all running up the beach. And you can see a town in the background with, you know, 4G masts. And I'm going, that's not very clever, is it? <laughs> you know, you can see these kind of telegraph poles and 4G masts on top of them. And I was going, okay. It's like in Titanic, if you watch very carefully, uh, there's a part where Jack and whatever her face is, whatever her name is, are on the deck kissing each other a plane goes by no I don't think that happened it did happen yeah like it's like a jet plane actually did you goes see by this in the, in the act- did you see mm. this in the actual film it's in the it's in the actual movie if people YouTube it you'll find it it's on YouTube people put it up on YouTube there's actually a jet going by in the background yeah it's called continuity okay, yeah. so, so somebody in continuity didn't spot that you know what I mean it's, it's it's sometimes yeah. If you look really closely, it's it's fun to do actually, isn't it? You yeah. see somebody in in some gladiator wearing a watch or or, or <laughs> something. Right, yeah. yeah, it's such it's such a, it's such a hard a hard thing to 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 get right, isn't it? Yeah, and, um, and the other thing they have to do is when they break for filming, or even they might be doing a scene where two people are talking, so the camera has to be on one side. Then they have to do the other part of the conversation with the camera on the other side. So they switch back and forward, right? And if you watch when the person is talking and then it comes back to them, is their jacket buttoned the same way? Uh, so there's a, there's a person. So when they film that, say, let's say, okay, we're breaking for lunch. There's a... So when they come back after lunch, they look exactly the same because it's the same scene. So they have to look identical. Let's let continuity people do things like that. Mm. Mm-hmm. Maybe that would have helped Julia Roberts when she was eating a pancake, and then it turned into a bagel, and then <laughs> that's, that's the most famous one. I remember that one. Yeah, there's a load of them. If you go on to YouTube, there's loads of them. There's, there's a there's a heap of them in Titanic, by the way. A heap of them. There's one part where half the ship is missing. Um, so there's, there's actually a load of them in Titanic. There's another one where some of the water is. There's no sea. Uh, there's a wide shot for just a fraction of a second where there's no sea. Because they actually, they they did build a ship in the middle of the 
the desert somewhere, the Gobi Desert in America or wherever it was, they built it. Uh, they built a ship. Mm-hmm. And that's where it was on. And- but back to Moby Dick. Anyway, now there's a pub, by the way, in Yall called Moby Dick's Pub. And if, you, if you're interested in the movie and not everything that Sarah's talking about, you can go down there and they have all the memorabilia in the pub. Did you know that? Yeah, there was. I, I, I'll, I'll go down and check it out now. Um, but there was another, there was a bar there at the time, right, called Paddy Linhins. And it was a really small bar and, and butchers as well. That, um, Yeah, that's the one. That's the one. Paddy renamed it Moby, Moby Dick's afterwards. That must be the same place, right? Must be the same pub. Yeah, it's so, a little pub. You can see it here and there's a picture of it online. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was. I think, yeah, it just occurred to me there. So he got five pounds a week for allowing cast and crew use a small room for for daily six a.m. meetings. Right. And the Amer- the Americans loved port wine, and Paddy joked he sold as much of it that summer as that that it would have floated the all the boats in the film. <laughs> <But> <laughs> there was that much they could have actually filled up the sea with it, and the the landlord told a story about Houston looking for an attractive girl to kiss a sailor goodbye as a vessel. Redhead working in the bar, she agreed to do it and it needed eight takes and she got eight pounds for her troubles. I'm wondering about the eight takes part. part. Was it the the man (laughs) saying, oh, I think we need another take? But we, he worked it out, and it was a pound per kiss that she made. A pound a kiss. And yeah, I wonder. I wonder that they. You're right. I wonder they really need the extra takes. Or was it just a case your man just wanted another kiss offer? Yeah, they were. They were. They were milking it, and Paddy paid her just one pound ten shillings per week, and she got a pound per her kiss so um, rumour has it that she resigned resigned her bar job um, <laughs> or resigned from her bar job and went off to Hollywood to seek her fortune to do more we kisses we never heard anything about her <laughs> uh, and people were wondering was it was it Maureen O'Hara but um, mm. they say that they don't think she ever worked for no. Paddy Linhin he would he would rem- you would remember something like that yeah, yeah well Maureen well no, it wouldn't be Maureen O'Hara. She wouldn't have started off life as kiss for kissing people for a pound. And you know <laughs> the the characters in uh, y'all. It's so funny some of the stories because there was one guy and he was pretending to be a famous actor from the film and he was writing autographs and he had to whisper to the other person, uh, "How do you how do you spell this guy's name? Is it Basshart? Basshart? I can't remember. Richard Basshart is that name? <laughs> Am I pronouncing?" But he he couldn't he he couldn't spell his name, so that was the only time they copped on. I, they must have looked alike or something. There was another young girl, and she wanted to get an autograph from um, Gregory Peck. So she couldn't find a way. She just couldn't get to him. So she she was a really good swimmer, and she just popped up out of the water one day and said, can I have your autograph? <laughs> <laughs> of course, Gregory Peck would have been, way. Gregory Peck would have been a huge Hollywood star at the time. Um, he would have been like him and Rock Hudson and Errol Flynn. They would have been the top men in Hollywood at the time. So every woman would have been ogling at them, I suppose. But listen, Sarah, it's been wonderful talking to you again. Happy New Year to you and all the staff, of course, at The Echo and everybody else and all your friends and colleagues in Cork. Thank you very much indeed for joining us tonight with those interesting stories, particularly the Moby Dick one. I like that. Now, Now, real people, real opinions. Nighttime Talk with Niall Boylan. Ireland's classic hits radio.